0: Welcome to Bible Baptist Church. Excited to say we're going to all stand together, sing as loud as we can on this beautiful day. This is a nice sunny day. Hymn book number 23. Well, hymn number. To God be the glory. Sing the glory of our Lord Jesus.
1: (laughs) To God. Jesus the shine, my...
0: For us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of this day. We thank you for the safety that you mm. give us each day in our travels, Lord. We ask you to bless this service and the music that we have to praise you, Lord. Mm. Oh, let us get uh, the most out of your message, Lord, and and uh so that we may be able to better serve you, Lord. We ask mm. all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stay standing with me and please turn your hymn books to number two. This will be an easy one. Just back, easy to find. Come Thou found. Amen. This is my personal, my favorite hymn in the hymn book. Just a wonderful song. Come
1: Thou found of every blessing To my heart to sing Thy grace Streams of mercy call for songs of love. goodness like a fetter by my one
0: give our heart to the Lord. All right, we'll have Pastor come do announcements.
2: All right, don't have a lot of things right now, but I would ask um, you to be thinking about ladies' meeting this, this coming week uh, on, I should put if it's a Monday or a Tuesday, but I guess it'd be Monday the 13th, so that's at 6 p.m., uh, so if you can come. Tomorrow night for ladies' meeting, I know it'll be a blessing, and then also uh, Saturday morning soul winning at 9:30 a.m. So if you can come for that, we would love to have you and prayerfully see uh, see some souls saved. I know yesterday, um, Brother Ron and Elijah went and got to talk with three different people and share the gospel with them. Um, so that's a blessing. It's exciting, and prayerfully there'll be some fruit. You know, if the seeds were planted nonetheless, and prayerfully God will. Continue to water those and bring fruit from that. Um, also, uh, men's prayer breakfast is the last Saturday of the month. So I forget the exact date that falls on, but it'll be the last Saturday. And then lastly, continue praying about our building project. Um, I know I shared last week that another $20,000 came in. So we're we're getting up there some, you know, Lord's blessing and prayerfully. Uh, you know, everything will start, uh, will continue coming together for... This spring to get the slab going and the septic system and all that fun stuff. So, um, looking forward to what God is going to do. And we just sang that song here. I raise my Ebenezer, and that's out of Samuel after after the Israelites defeated uh, the Philistines. Actually, I believe if I remember correctly, it was after they got the Ark back from the Philistines. Um, yeah. God had Samuel set up stones uh, to remind them, one for every tribe, and he called it. Ebenezer, which means the Lord is my helper, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I kind of see our new building as that, you know, our sign, God provided that, our parking lot, God provided that, this property, this building, you know, everything that's gone into this property thus far, you know, they're like little reminders, Ebenezers, if you will, that remind us God is our helper, and uh, Mm -hmm. the new building will be a pretty big Ebenezer for us, if you will, reminder that God is our helper and that he provides and takes care of us. So looking forward to all that God is doing and that he is going to do in the days ahead. Um, So, all right, usher, come on down. Want to go ahead and pray for the offering, bud?
0: Yes, Pastor. Thank you, Lord, for this woman day, Lord. I pray that we have a good time in your word, Lord. I pray speak through the pastor and use him, Lord, I pray change our lives today, add to our faith, and help us to not go home uh, home the same, Lord, today. I pray work in our lives and help us to uh, work at serving you more and more each day, Lord. And I pray uh, bless this week, Lord. I pray we give this week to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Staying with me, everybody. We're gonna have one more song. Please turn your hymn books to 254. 254. Wear a smile for the wear a smile for this one, everybody. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Amen. Beautiful words. 254 <laughs>
1: So sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the of the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. To trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to trust his cleansing blood. Just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing blood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I prove him more and more jesus jesus precious jesus oh for grace to trust him more yes it's sweet to trust in jesus just from sin and self to cease just from jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace just trust jesus how i trust him how i prove him more and more jesus jesus precious jesus oh for grace to trust him more i'm so glad i learned him precious jesus savior and friend
2: and i
1: know that thou art with me will be with me to the end jesus jesus how i trust him how i Oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your singing. You may
2: be seated. All right. All right. Before we get started, um, probably a lot of you noticed, maybe not everybody, but my little sister Danielle and her daughter Riley are visiting us this morning. They're members at my brother's church down in Stockton Springs, Cornerstone Bible Baptist Church. Um, but uh, they wanted to come and visit this morning, and um, she's got a really nice voice, beautiful voice, and likes to sing. So she's going to sing a special for us today. And uh, so we'll let her sing, and then I'll get up and we'll pray. So come on up, Danielle.
3: Lord, you left the splendor of heaven a crown, a robe, and a throne. But what kind of love would lead you to leave the safety of that kind of home? I know that you willingly suffered, but why would you suffer for me? I know what I am, and I don't understand how I could be worth Calvary when you knew. Sometimes I feel like a vessel, just useless old pieces of clay. But somehow you saw more, something worth dying for. You did more than you should have paid. When you knew I was lost and you knew you.
2: to believe, isn't it, that he thought we were worth it? I thought I was going to keep it together, but... I do really love that song. It's a good reminder (laughs) just how precious a price Christ paid for us. just how unworthy we are, and yet, He paid it anyways. You know, the Bible says we are bought with a price, therefore we are not our own. Um, What a blessing to be a child of God, and to be saved, and on our way to heaven, and you know, in this life, we won't ever be perfect, but there's a life coming. When we go into eternity, He's going to transform us and make us perfect. Uh, But he saved us knowing that our time on this earth, we would fail him continually. And yet he loves us and saved us anyways. What a wonderful Savior we have. All right, Ephesians 4 is where we are this morning. Ephesians chapter number 4. I probably should get a uh, (coughs) tissue box that goes right in the pulpit here. Because being a crybaby, it'd be handy. be less disruptive than me walking off the platform I guess but probably if I just didn't cry that'd be less that'd be even <laughs> less disruptive I don't know all right Ephesians chapter 4 let's go ahead and stand together we're going to read verses 11 <coughs> verses 11 through 16 we are looking at Picking up where we left off last week, we covered verses 11 through 13, so we're going to go down through 16 today, but we'll read all of those um, just to set the context and get us familiar with where we are. It says, Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we can come together, that we can assemble, that we can worship you that we can praise you, that we can glorify you, that we can honor you through the preaching and teaching of your word. And Father, I pray this morning that you would uh, be present with us, that you'd meet with us, that you'd stir our hearts, convict us, challenge us, and change us. Lord, I pray you'll accomplish your will this morning. Uh, Lord, I just ask you to move me out of the way and let your Son, Jesus Christ, let your Word shine forth, Lord. I just pray that the attention, what we learn, what we get from today is about you and your Word. Father, I just pray that you would convict our hearts, that you'd challenge us, and that you'd help us to grow. Father, we thank you so much for each person that's here, and Lord, be with those who are away this morning. Be with, uh, be with them, and I just pray you'd encourage them and strengthen them, Lord. We just pray that you do all these things. In the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. So if you remember, I know I already said, but last week we covered verses 11 through 13. So we covered the first part of this, this passage, these six verses. This morning we'll cover these three, and next week maybe we'll cover three more. We'll see. <laughs> maybe we'll just cover one. Maybe we'll cover six or eight. I don't know yet. I haven't really decided, but... Um, it's an it's a important passage, not to say that any other passage is less important, but um, you know, for the day and age in which we live, the church age, if you will, it's important that we understand uh, the value, the necessity that Christ places on the church, on his body. And Ephesians really spells it out for us quite well. And here we see the importance of it in relation to our growth, and really the growth of the body. But to grow as a body, we have to be a part of a body. So it's, it just shows that importance. Um, we learned last week about the, the roles or positions or you know, the, the responsibility that God has given some apostles and prophets, we talked about you know, biblical apostles and prophets, there are no more. We talked about evangelists and pastors and teachers, so we talked about those and their purpose being to help us to grow as individuals, ultimately resulting in families growing spiritually and also the body growing spiritually. We talked about the unity that God wants us to have and that He wants us to mature into that full stature, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There we go, that's the Bible way of saying it. Um, to that perfect man, that mature, spiritually mature man, and we'll touch on that some today. So that's where we went last week, and that's where we left things off last week. So this week we'll begin in verse 14, and it's going to give us some reasons why this growth is so important. Why is it so important that you and I grow as Christians, that we mature, that we become spiritual adults, if you will? Well, verse number 14 tells us, that we henceforth be no more children. Well, what's the opposite of children? It's an adult, right? We start out as children, we become adults. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So what is the... Yeah, I already said that. Adults are the opposite of children. I forgot I had it right in my notes here, too. Uh, So the purpose of those roles that we talked about is to help us grow into spiritual adults, that we would be mature Christians. What do we expect out of adults? That they're able to handle adversity, right? That when decisions need to be made, that they're able to make those decisions, that they're able to hold a job so they can afford to pay their bills, so that they can handle responsibility so that when things are difficult, they're not just gonna crumble under the difficult things, they're gonna be able to continue pressing on, doing what's needed to be done, what's important. We expect those things from adults. Well, when it comes to Christians, we, we deal with those same problems as well as the daily spiritual battles that we face. And a spiritual adult needs to be able to handle those things. Another thing we expect from an adult is that they know right from wrong. Does every adult know right from wrong? No, because not every person who is old enough to be considered an adult ever really matured. But uh, we, we do expect that from an adult, that they know right from wrong, that they know what's acceptable and unacceptable. Well, in a, a mature Christian will know right from wrong and be able to discern what is truth and what is not truth, and we need to grow so that we can do these things. 1 John chapter number 2. Don't lose your place in Ephesians. But in 1 John chapter number 2. In verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> it says, I write unto you. Actually, let's start in verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake." I write write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children, because ye have known the father. I have written unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So what do we have here? We have a list of three different uh, groups, if you will. We have the young children. What specific uh, do we see from the young children? Well, verse 12 tells us, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. The children that he's referring to are not necessarily little kids, like the ones that are next door, but I think he's talking spiritually that they are young Christians. And what does a young Christian know? That they're saved. Their sins are forgiven. That's what they have. But they don't have spiritual maturity yet. They don't know the Word of God yet. They don't don't know the Savior at such a personal level that they walk with Him and and He leads them through the trials and the hardships of life. So there's layers of maturing. Then he gets to the young men. We're going to look at the young men next anyways. I write unto you, verse 13, the second half, I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Well, how did they do that? Well, verse 14, uh, part way down, I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. How did they overcome the wicked one? Well, because they have matured to know the word of God. And it abides in them, and it's made them strong so that they can overcome the wicked one. So that when temptation comes, so that when false teaching comes, so that when the lies come, they have the biblical knowledge to overcome those things, those challenges and those temptations. And then the fathers, verse 13, I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. Well, who is that? Well, who wrote 1 John? The Apostle John, right? Who wrote... The Gospel of John, the Apostle John. What does he say in the beginning? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I believe he's referencing Jesus Christ here. They know they're all saved, all three of these groups. The children they know the Father, they have the basic knowledge of God and the Savior and salvation. I believe the difference from there to the sons or to the young men is that they know the Word of God. The fathers have grown through their knowledge of the Word of God to know the God of the Word of God personally and intimately. We can know Him without knowing Him intimately. Same thing when you get married. When you get married, you know your spouse, right? You knew Him enough to decide you wanted to marry Him. You made that decision. But the longer you're married, the more deeply you know them and who they are, and your relationship with them grows and matures. At least it should. Uh, So that's how relationships work. The longer we know someone, the more we've walked through the fire with that person. The more experience we have with that person and dealing with life and living life with them, the better we know them and the more intimately we know them. Well, the same is true with God. That's why the fathers were the maturest of the group. Uh, So, moving on. (coughs) Well, quickly, young men may be stronger than the fathers in some ways. The fathers are more aged, and because of that, they don't have the strength that a young man has. My boys are not stronger than me yet. (laughs) But there will be a day when they are. It might be when they're shoveling dirt in my face, but no, I'm just kidding. I'd like to think that's when it would be, <laughs> but there will be a time, it's probably not all that far off in the distant future, when they are stronger than I am, uh, but I will still have more wisdom than they have and more experience that they have, and they will still be a place for dad. It might not be to help them lug in the firewood or do the heavy lifting. But it might be for them to come to me and just say, Dad, you know, I don't know what to do here. Could you offer me some godly counsel, some godly wisdom? So there's the difference. You know, they have the strength to do the heavy lifting, but maybe they don't have the wisdom yet to be able to handle every situation. And that's where we need senior saints in a church. But we also need young people in a church because someone's got to do the heavy lifting, right? That is why so many churches, unfortunately, are dying out. Because all they have is senior saints. And the young people are choosing to go elsewhere, if at all, leaving the senior saints to just struggle to get by until they can't any longer. All right. So the children, yeah, we already got off th- through that. All right, moving on. God does not want us, so in our in our Ephesians passage here, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children. I think we covered that. Tossed to and fro. So he doesn't want us to be tossed around. James 1, 6 says, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. How is our faith increased? The trying, uh, wait a minute, well, the trying of our faith worketh patience. God puts us through trials to test our faith. And as he tests our faith, and he proves it by showing us that the God of our faith is able to see us through everything that life throws at us, it should increase our faith to trust Him more the next time we go through something like that, the next time we deal with some challenge. Spiritual immaturity results in a wavering faith. And you know the reality is, when we're grown-ups, adults, do we always act like it? I don't, (laughs) I'll be honest. I don't always act like an adult. Sometimes I can be immature and goof off, and you know, sometimes I can be foolish. I'm not the most goofy person in the world. I'm pretty serious most of the time, but uh, I guess, I don't know. Anyways, but as adults, sometimes we can still be pretty immature. So understand that being spiritually mature doesn't mean we never deal with the wavering faith. I'm not saying that. But as a whole, In a general sense, when we're spiritually mature, we should have enough Bible knowledge, enough experience and knowledge of living life and walking with God that our wavering faith should be fleeting. It should be less frequently, and we should have the spiritual insight to recognize our wavering faith and know that it's a problem and that we need to start having more faith. We need to increase our faith. We need to start trusting. And many times we know we're supposed to, right? Because we say, man, I just need to trust the Lord with this. But sometimes that wavering faith can make it really difficult to do that. So we have to work at it, and we have to pray about it, and we have to look to the Word of God, and we have to look to the experiences we've had, and we can look at what we saw in Hebrews 11 back several weeks ago, the great cloud of witnesses, actually it's chapter 12, verse 1, the great cloud of witnesses that compasseth us about, about, I believe speaking of those in Hebrews chapter 11 that are are examples that have gone on before and shown what great faith produced through their lives. So we look to them and it will prayerfully help us to increase our faith. We know without faith it's impossible to please him, right? We talked about that, Hebrews eleven six, 6. And we know that without faith we can't do anything for him. We can't accomplish anything for him. That's why every example in Hebrews 11, everything that was accomplished was by faith and through faith. That's how those men and women of God did the things they did. Not because they were great, but because the object of their faith is great. He who is the object of their faith is great. All right, next it says... Remember where it is on the page here. So we should not be tossed to and fro or carried and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Hebrews 13, 9. Let's look at this one. Turn over to Hebrews 13 with me, if you will. It says, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. So, what's it saying? Well, pretty much the same thing that it's saying over here. Don't be carried about with strange doctrines. God doesn't want us to be. With every wind of doctrine. You know, it's, it's referencing the you know, Old Testament sacramental law, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. You know why? Because keeping the Old Testament law didn't save anybody. Their faith saved them. We see that you know, testimony to that in Hebrews 11. Well, keeping the law now, following all that the Old Testament commandments tell us to do, don't save us today either. Well, it does. Faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. So, There are those who are pushing false doctrines. There are those who are pushing wrong doctrines. Uh, Pretty much every one of the epistles in the New Testament deals with some layer or some type of false teaching that was going on in the churches. There were men coming in. There were Judaizers coming in. Galatians deals predominantly with that. Those who were trying to enforce what we just saw in Hebrews Chapter 13, they were trying to push living under the Jewish law and their faith. And the Apostle Paul, I'm going to misquote this a little bit, says something to the effect of, Are you so foolish, having begun in the faith, are you now made perfect by the law? No, it's by faith. And by faith alone. In Colossians, he's dealing with the, uh, come on, the uh, Gnostics. There we go. Those who were looking for that higher learning, that that higher level of intelligence and spiritual enlightening, they were looking for that. And they to do that, they were blending together all these different religions. So that's what he was dealing with in Colossians. Here in Ephesians, he's dealing predominantly with what we have in Christ, what's expected of us as a result of what we have in Christ, and he's dealing with doctrine of the church. Why? Well, because there was false doctrine in the church, about the church. So he's dealing with a lot of that kind of stuff. So there's plenty of strange doctrines out there. Those strange doctrines come predominantly from misinterpretation of the Bible or adding or taking away from the Bible. And, uh, you know, can I say this, you've got to have the right Bible to be able to rightly interpret the Bible. You know, you can't start with the wrong thing. And, uh, You know, it breaks my heart, but I know, I got really riled up yesterday. I'll say that briefly, and I'll try to keep it brief. But some people that are, I guess I'd still call them friends. I'd be nice to them if I saw them. I'd be friendly with them. But some people that were good friends, that have really, they're leaving, uh, yeah, they're leaving the truth and it breaks my heart. Preachers, pastors. Some of them I I know personally. Some of them I don't know personally. And it seems to be a lot of it as a result of this academia, this uh, philosophizing, how how would you say that? I think that's close. Trying to blend intellect philosophy with bible truth and the result is they're more interested in what men have said than what god said in his word and there's some big name guys right now well-known big name guys that are leading people astray sadly growing bible college and they're leading people astray and it breaks my heart and I got, I got really riled up yesterday over it, and it made it really hard to be focused on studying and focusing on what I had to do today because I was so just, I say frustrated, but really just my heart's broken over what what's happening. And we know that in the Laodicean age, the time we live in, there's a lot of lukewarmness and there's a lot of just... People not being that dedicated, but it's sad and it's heart wrenching to see it when it's people that you love and care about that are being led astray or that are leading people astray. And it just it hurts. Second Peter three, seventeen says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. I don't think we even read it on Uh, Chapter 4, after every wind of doctrine, it says, By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Maybe we did read that. There are people out there, you know, I do think some of them are maybe, uh, what's the word I want, unknowingly leading people astray. And probably part of that is because they unknowingly were led astray. (laughs) But then it would seem there are some that are knowingly leading people astray. There's a, you know, one particular friend is kind of hopping on the bandwagon of this group that's just basically going against everything that they were taught and raised to believe. And it's this just rebellious spirit. And he's a pastor, and he's a pastor in the state of Maine, and he is just obliterating and just really and he's probably the smartest person I know. That's that's one of the problems. Is he's one of the smartest persons I know. When he's quoting in a Bible conversation with other pastors, when he's quoting people like Stephen Hawkins, you know, the scientist that was a evolutionist, atheist, anti-god, the guy that was in the wheelchair. I don't know I don't really know anything about him. I know who he was and I know he hated God. When he's quoting something that man said because he was touted as the most brilliant man in the world during his time, and he's using that man's wisdom to try to argue with other pastors about the Bible. It's like, hello, something's going on up here. Really, something's going on in here is what's the real problem. Spiritually, there is an issue, and it breaks my heart to see those kinds of things happening. Anyways, I better keep going, because I'll never get past this point. So there are false teachers out there, whether it's on purpose or accident, I'm saddened they're leading people astray. And the truth is, according to the Bible, there are many that know they're leading people astray. And I, my concern is in this situation, that is the case, because they know the truth. And yet, for some reason, they are choosing to lead people astray. That's where the slight of men... That word slight means artful trick. It's an artful trick. That's why the magician... Now, uh, by magician, I don't mean somebody who really does magic. I mean the, the uh, what's the other thing we call them? Uh, the ones that do the obstacle, the illusions, illusionists, there we go. That's kind of what I'm thinking. How do they do a lot of their tricks, like their card tricks? It's sleight of hand, right? It's an artful trick that they have figured out how to, how to disguise what they're doing to trick your eyes and your mind to thinking that they're actually doing magic when they're not. Well, that's what this, the slight of men is. They are using artful tricks to deceive people into believing things that are not true. That word deceive means it's a misleading of the mind or causing someone to err. That's crazy that people who call themselves Christians and that fill the the role, claim to be called to be preachers, would trick people into believing things that are not true. It uses the phrase cunning craftiness. That means knowingly devising. They are knowingly devising a plan of how they can lead people astray. It's no secret, I believe wholeheartedly this book right here is the Word of God. And I saw this past week, my wife spotted it on Facebook. We're not really on Facebook other than to sell puppies, that's it. And occasionally, we'll use our church Facebook page to uh, advertise events, and that's it. We don't do Facebook. Uh, But sometimes when you go in to put a post to sell a puppy, it pops up, (laughs) and you'll see what's first. And there's these group of well-known, nationally known pastors, several of them involved in a particular Bible college in Virginia. Just So maybe that'll help people clear their minds it's not certain other colleges and they're doing a conference how to trans how to I forget how they say it but basically they're transitioning their church away from the King James Bible to using multiple modern translations because one translation's not good enough and you know my conviction is God said I will prer- preserve every jot and tittle and I believe wholeheartedly he's done that and I believe he's done it for English speaking people That is the language of our day. That is the world language of our generation. And he said, I'll preserve it unto every generation. And that's the generation we live in. There are more Chinese-speaking people in the world, but you know what Chinese people are learning to speak? English. So does that mean there can't be a Bible in another language? No, but I believe for you and I, we have the Word of God right here, preserved perfectly for us. And I believe we can trust it. Um, So, anyways... That was another reference I had here. Colossians 2, if we look over in Colossians. 18 to 19, it says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Probably could have, well, I wanted us to see that, let no man beguile you. Verse 19, and not holding the head, capital H, we know it's speaking of Christ, from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment, ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. So we see that let no man beguile you. And that word beguile means to deceive by craft. So we see there are plenty of people out there purposefully trying to deceive and lead people astray. Uh, you know, Calvinism is a really popular doctrine right now. John MacArthur out in California, um, he's a big proponent of it. And I, I, there's a quote by him saying that he believes that the greatest revival in history is going on right now, and he says it's a revival of Calvinism and uh it's sad um, because it takes away people's free will and people have to choose to believe they're not forced by god to believe Um, you know tell that to adam in the garden if god didn't give people free will and they didn't have to choose them well then adam would have never chosen that apple you know or that fruit in the garden he would have never sinned nor eve So, anyways, all right, we better move on to the next verse, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So, when we speak to one another the truth, but we do it in love. What a difference it makes. It makes such a difference. You know, I, yeah, anyways, we can keep going. We have a tendency sometimes to get angry and frustrated. And when we speak the truth through anger and frustration, all it does is cause harm and damage. When we speak the truth in love, I believe it can be much more influential. Uh, I shouldn't say all it does, sometimes that gets through to people. But the vast majority of times, if we lose our temper and we're angry, It doesn't help. Um, It's easy to get angry and let our emotions control us. It's hard to control our emotions and live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Um, You know, our flesh wants to blow up. Our flesh wants to uh, just get angry and let our emotions fly. Let the words fly. Let the uh, volume go up. But we have to strive to speak the truth in love. Galatians 6:1 If you look over here with me quickly it's what it kind of makes me think of this speaking the truth in love. It says brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such in one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. So, why do we need to speak the truth in love? Well, sometimes people don't know what's right. And sometimes people do know what's right, and they're living wrong, and we need to still speak the truth in love, even though that can be angering for us. I get frustrated with my kids sometimes when they do something that they know better. You know who I get even more angry with that does that? Me. (laughs) When I do something that I know better, man, I get so mad at myself. And uh, you know, uh, we we should work to be spiritual because same way I lose my temper, I can lose my temper on my kids when they do something that I know they know better. I need to be careful, because it'll be me that does that next, that knows I shouldn't do something and does it anyways. And to be fair, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7, that which I know not to do, I do, and that which I want to do, I don't do, and that which I don't want to do, I do, what he essentially said. Uh, Well, we can do that sometimes, too. So the truth being spoken in love, coupled with what we covered last week in verses 11 through 13, I'll read them again quickly. And he gave some apostles, so we have those roles, for the perfecting of the saints, so we continue to grow, for the work of the ministry, there's labor to be done, the edifying of the body, it needs to be built up in knowledge, increased in knowledge of God, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect, mature man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we become Christ-like in our living. So until then, or we couple all that, with what we've seen this week so far, this gives us the ability to grow, it says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him, the him is Christ, in all things which, he, which is the head, even Christ. So God wants us to grow up into all things in Christ. Well, I don't have this in my notes, but if we look over in Colossians chapter 1, And verse number 18, I think this is the most fitting verse for this. Why does he want us to grow up into Christ in all things? Well, verse 18 of Colossians 1, And he is, that he is Christ, the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, Christ, might have the preeminence. He deserves, he is worthy of, and he has told us that God's will is that we would give Christ the preeminence in all areas of our life. And when we grow to be the spiritual mature person that Ephesians is talking about, and we grow up into Christ or into him in all things, I believe that's what it's talking about, that Christ will be our head and that he will have preeminence over all areas, all aspects of our life. He will have it all. Sometimes that's a tough thing to do. Many Christians don't want to do that because they're afraid of what it might cost them. What it might cost. If I give Christ preeminence over all areas of my life, then I won't be able to have this thing that I want, or my relationships will have to change because maybe I won't be able to have some of the friends I have or do some of the things that I do, so on and so forth. Part of growing up spiritually is reaching a point where it doesn't matter all those things. What matters is that we please our Savior. How do we do that? Well, well, we need to reach a point where we can speak the truth in love, but we also need to reach a point, probably first, where we can hear the truth spoken to us in love and not respond angrily. So we need to grow. It's about growth. grow. 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him, be both, uh, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We look in Galatians chapter number 4. Remember I mentioned we need to grow to be able to hear the truth in love. Well, when the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, he says this statement in verse 16 of chapter 4 makes you think he was concerned that they were hearing the truth very well. He says, am I therefore become your enemy? Why would he think that? Because I tell you the truth? Question mark. Is me speaking the truth to you made me your enemy? Well, it shouldn't, but that's sometimes how people see it. When, when someone tells them the truth, they look at it as, they hate me, they're angry with me, they don't, they're, they're working against me. When in reality, if someone will lovingly tell us the truth, the reality is they're working for us. They're trying to help us. They care enough about us to put themselves in a difficult situation and speak the truth to us in a loving manner. I think sometimes we do it angrily because we think that if I do it this way, Well, then they'll just storm off and I won't have to deal with a potential fallout. Well, there's probably more fallout if we do it that way. If we do it in love, it makes a tremendous difference. Ephesians 4.25 says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Lastly, we need to grow into Christ because he is both our Lord and our head. We already read in Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Well, if we just read verse 19, And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Most people want to be their own head. They don't want to let Christ be their head. That's where the preeminence comes in. All right, verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. Our last verse, it says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. We'll stop there for a moment. So, we have to understand Christ is the source of everything we need. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. We talked about earlier that without Christ, without faith, We cannot do anything for God. Well, without Him, we cannot do anything for Him. If we want to accomplish anything of spiritual or eternal value, it must come, it must be done through the strength and the provision of our Savior in our lives. When we try to do it in our own strength, we might be able to go for a while and do the work, but the actual fruit to be born through that work, requires the work of God. It requires Him doing it. The body is fitly joined together, it says, in Ephesians 2.21, if you want to look over there, just back maybe a page in your Bible, maybe two, depending on the size of your font. In Ephesians chapter 2.21, it says, "...in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord." in whom, if we read the next verse, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. He's comparing the body to a building. We know what the body is, right? The body is the church. The Bible says the church is the body of Christ. He's comparing it to a building. When this building was built, we weren't here for the initial construction, but we were here for uh, the doing some work in here. We had to add and replace some two-by-sixes. We had to uh, put drywall on the walls because there was some pieces of that wafer board plywood and there was a lot of just open studs. Um, The outside had T111. Some of that had to be replaced because it was pretty gnarly. You know, some of it had been chunked off and some of it was warped pretty hard. It was really trying to flex on us. So, we had to do all that and as we were doing it, you know, all these walls are framed up out of rough cut 2x6s But everything fits together the way that it was intended to and designed. The corners, you know, I like California corners, so that's how I do things. I don't remember what's under this drywall, but the windows had to be framed up just so. These are the first windows I ever framed. Somebody came and did a few of them to show me, and then I did the next couple. uh, So that's probably why they're not perfect, but that's where I learned to frame up windows was in this building. The doors, someone came. Actually, Pastor Colburn came and helped me frame up the door, and Joe and... His son, David, were here helping with that too. And um, so, you know, those things, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff back then. And I can't say I'm good at it now, but I do it by myself now. But, uh, you know, everything had to be done just so. And if the framing wasn't right, the doors wouldn't have fit in. If the framing wasn't right, the windows wouldn't have fit in. We'd have air coming in. Uh, We'd have water coming in. If everything wasn't designed just so and, and put together correctly, so that it fits together to complete the structure that we see, well, then this thing wouldn't work. So that's how the body is the same thing. Every member of the body, every person, every part of the body fits together just so, just like our fingers and our hands and our, our arms and our shoulders and our torso and our legs and our feet and our heads and how it all fits together. God designed it to fit just so, and it's held together by ligaments and tendons and muscles and skeletal tissue, and there's nerves that run through all that, and veins and, and uh, arteries, and it all works together. But you know where the information comes from? For my finger to go like this, or for my hand to go like this, when David sits down at the piano and he's doing all this, you know where the information comes from? For him to be able to read what it says on the page, and it translate down to his fingers to actually hit the right notes and play the melody. That all comes from the head. The head provides the information for the body to provide the nutrients to every piece and part of it, so that every piece and part can function the way that it needs to. You know who the head of the body of Christ is? It's Christ himself. He's the head of the body. The information that tells the hand or the arm or the foot to do its part all comes from the head. I'm not the head. I'm not the neck either. I'm just, a, I'm just a part of the body. I used to hear people say, well, the man is the head and the woman is the neck. And forgive me if you say that. I'm not trying to offend anyone. And they would say, well, the neck turns the head wherever it needs to go. Well, that's not how Christ <laughs> intended it to be at all. Memme used to like to say that. That was from back in her day and age, I guess. Um, but that's really not biblical. You know, that, 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 you know, using marriage is, you know, a lot of times where that would come into play. Well, marriage is a picture of the body of Christ, right? Christ being the head and the body. And we don't want any necks trying to turn Christ in their direction. We want Christ turning the whole body in the direction he wants it to go. So it is fitly joined together. That's how it's supplied. Every, you know, the hand needs the arm. If you have a hand with no arm, the hand's pretty well useless and it's gonna wither up and die. So we need every part of the body. I know I labored on that some last week, so I won't hammer on it again today, but... It's compacted, held together by that which every joint supplieth. And The way God designed it to, we've already read Colossians 2.19, And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God when the head is in his proper place, and the body is in its proper place, and it's functioning as God has intended it to function, doing its part. What does it say here as we read down through? According to the effectual working in the measure of every part. So, Every part needs to be effectually doing what God has intended it to do. In Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, it says in, uh, if you want to, you can turn there. It's just back a couple pages. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, the very end of chapter 1. It says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. When a, uh, when a body has all of its parts, and all of its parts are working as God intends them to, they are effectually working. What happens when a body part is not effectually working? Effectually just means effectively for what it is intended to do. If my leg does not effectually work the way God intended it to do to work, what am I going to be doing? Something different than just a normal walk, and it's going to slow me down, and it's going to hinder my body from doing what it needs to do. If my heart is not effectually working the way that God intended it to, it's going to affect me in a lot of different ways. Or my, uh, my spleen, or my kidneys, or whatever part of my body is not effectually working. If I've got one hand that is, that is uh, handicapped, well, I'm really right-handed, I'd probably be okay because I don't use my left hand for my, I use my left hand to hold things so my right hand can hit it. No, I'm just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I'm very weak or, or not very coordinated with my left hand, but uh, I wouldn't be okay. It would really affect things that I do. So we need all parts. It's fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplies. That only works if it is through the effectual working in the measure of every part. And then the last part of this verse says, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. God's desire is that the body would be edifying, is being built up in love and in the knowledge of God and his word so that we can be growing and increasing in all those areas. Well, how does that happen? It happens largely by the body fulfilling its role. That's what I believe we're seeing here. That's what it's that's what it's telling us, is that all the parts of their body, of the body, need to be fulfilling their place, need to be filling their role. And we could go over to Corinthians and look at that passage too, but we won't for time today. When every part is doing its part, the body increases, it grows, it's edified, edified of itself in love. I think of when the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Well, the church body can encourage itself. We can build each other up. We increase each other in our faith, in our knowledge, and in our love for the Savior. And that is, you know, that's manifested through our love for one another and how we handle one another. So... If I'm effectually doing my part, effectually working, and everyone is effectually doing their part, God accomplishes great things in the body. So, I know we dumped a lot of information this morning. I think we'll be done a little bit earlier than last week. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, But understanding the book of Ephesians is written to a church, and it's written to a church largely to deal with doctrines of the church and the institution of the church, the organization or organism, the church is alive, of the church, and God has a purpose for it, he has a plan for it, and he has a desire for how he wants things to work in the church, and we're seeing a lot of those things. So pray, Yeah, I'm not saying, everybody has a place and a part that you're already playing, but I'd encourage us, pray, Lord, is there more you want me to do? Is there a place you want me to fill? Am I missing some piece? I'm praying that way. Lord, is there something I ought to be doing for your body that I'm not currently doing? Is there a place that I need to uh, be plugged in? Is there a role I need to be fulfilling? And uh, God can help us to do that. And the end result is we're stronger and better for it when we all play our part. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll fellowship for a few minutes, have lunch, and, and do what we got to do. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the precious promises that we've seen in your word and what it is that you want to and, and have accomplished in, in each of us, and our families, and at Bible Baptist Church. Lord, there is much still to be accomplished. And we need each other to do it. That is the reality of it. That's the truth of it. We need one another. In order to ultimately fulfill your purpose, your plan, your commission for this body. In order to do what it is that you've called us to do. We need each other. I can't be a church by myself. And I cannot accomplish all the things that you're telling us that we ought to be doing here in Ephesians by myself. I need to be a part of a body assembled together. And I pray, Father, that you would help us as a body to continue doing what we're doing. And if there are other things that you need us or want us to be doing, I pray you'd make that known to each one of us so that we can complete or help to continue to strengthen and increase this body. And Lord, as we increase spiritually, as we grow and we're edified, we're going to be more effective in the work that you've called us to do. Father, I just pray you bless each and every one here. Before we close the prayer this morning, Is there anyone here that would slip up their hand and say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. I'm not certain that if I died today, I know where I would spend eternity. If you're here today and that's you, would you just slip up your hand? How about Christians? Let's give each person We'll just take a couple minutes and give folks opportunity to pray, but we could ask ourselves, we could ask the Lord, Lord, am I doing everything you want me to be doing? Am I fulfilling the role that you have for me in this church that you have me a part of? Let's go ahead and take a few moments to pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for each person who's here, been a part of the services today, and I pray you'd give us a great rest of our day. I pray you bless the food to our bodies, bless the fellowship next door, be with those that have to leave. I just pray you give them a good rest of their day and a good week, be with those who weren't able to be here today because they're in church, supporting a family member getting baptized or homesick or whatever might be going on. I pray you'd be with each and every one of them, taking care of family that's sick. Lord, I just... Pray you'd be with them that you'd comfort them encourage them and lord i just ask you to work in them be with um, be with the varney specifically angela her health lord i just pray for this appointment that's coming up next month the beginning of the month i pray it would be able to happen sooner so that a resolution can be planned and things can uh, be taken care of so she can start prayerfully making a recovery and deal with the other challenges be with her daughter, her and Derek's daughter, Abby, Lord, and the migraine she's been having. I pray you'd be with her and help her. Help her to uh, just help them to figure out what's going on and be able to treat and get her feeling better. And Lord, be with Dylan also, Morgan and Chris's son, and, and the challenges that he's been facing. I pray that they would have the results soon from the uh, MRI. And Lord, I just pray that uh, the swallow test would go Well, and that you'd just calm Dylan's nerves and help him, Lord, to be able to go through that uh, without much difficulty and many challenges. And Lord, I just pray you'd work in in their life, work in his life, and Lord, others too. I'm sure there are others. Be with Brother Joe and his health, Lord, and just I pray he'd be able to get uh, the procedure that he needs done soon. Be with Erica's Aunt Marlene, Lord, and with the recent diagnosis that she just had. I just pray you'd work in her body and, and be with her and Bruce and just encourage them and the family. And I pray that, uh, Lord, things would look up and that things would uh, we'd hear some good news that would provide some hope, Lord. I just pray that you'd work in all these things. And, Lord, others that I may be missing or forgetting, I pray you'd be with them and work in them. Father, we love you, we praise you, and thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.